What a great way to wake up. With a cup of logic, reason, and common sense. Welcome to the Independence Morning View. Let's get to it. Good morning to you wherever you are in the world. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined this morning by Bruce Adams. Good morning, Bruce. How are you this morning? Um, Good morning. Healthy and alive. Looking forward to this afternoon's uh, podcast. Yes, this afternoon is going to be interesting. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, it's it's going to be a little bit. I don't want to say dark. Is dark the right word? I, I don't. I don't really want to say dark, but I think it's uh, thought provoking. Thought provoking. Yeah, because I think once people get how we're going to lay this out, and we're going to direct everyone exactly where they can go, so they can follow along. And you can see precisely why we're coming to the conclusions that we're coming to. You don't want to miss later on today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the psychological trauma of public health. You really don't want to miss today. This is going to be it's going to be eye opening, I think, for a lot of people. So uh, be sure to check us out later on today. But anyway, this morning, what do we have this morning? We have a, a rather well, the Supreme Court's done it again, haven't they? they they've really. Yeah, uh, I just I don't even know what to make of these people. What? Why do we have? Why do we have these Supreme Court picks if this is how they're going to rule? I don't understand. Why, why are we picking? Wait, wait. The, the, but no, no. See, you got to remember, this Supreme Court is so far right that they're going to overturn Roe versus Wade. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'll. I'll uh, yeah, sure. OK, so they've ruled that uh, that the president can't block his uh, his financial records. Now, explain to me. Explain to me, and I'm not taking Trump's side here. I'm not take. I'm not picking sides. Don't think that I'm doing that. But how on earth can a Supreme Court order the, the the financial records of someone released? Those are private. You can't do that. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Obama. I don't care if it's if it's George Bush. I don't care if it's Bill Clinton. You can't order these things released. So, do you think Trump's kicking himself now for putting these um these two picks on the court? <laughs> Maybe because. Uh... It looks like see, well, it was seven uh, to two. It was seven, seven to, two. to two. I can bet you I know who one of the two was. I know for sure who the one of the two was. It was Clarence Thomas. Uh-huh. And yeah. the yeah. other one, it's yeah. I, I can't. I can't say that I know who the uh, the other one is. No, it's it's Alito. Yeah. Oh, it's Alito. Okay. All right. Yeah. So uh, Alito and and Clarence Thomas. Right. Uh, so they're the only ones apparently that are standing up for um, for the Constitution. I, by the way, I don't hear anyone calling Clarence Thomas racist. Do you? <laughs> Well, that'd be kind of difficult to call him racist. Exactly. Uh, they can't do anything with rules. it. They can't, they can't do anything with yeah. it. Clarence Thomas, man, you are my man. You and, and Alita, you two are no compromise justices and bless both of you. Continue doing what you're doing. And please, for the love of God, do not retire anytime soon, please. I mean, I have to give Thomas credit. He's for standing for for what he believes in all the time. And he always rules on the principles of the Constitution. He always does that. I don't know what is actually getting in the way of all these other supposed justices that clouds their judgment when it comes to the Constitution. Do we not have the uh, the right to privacy? Like I said, I'm, I'm not taking Trump's side. Please, please, for the love of everything that is sacred and holy, do not think that I'm taking Trump's side. Financial records, as someone who's worked in the U.S. judicial system, I'm telling you for a fact, financial records, you can subpoena them and you can have them brought to light. However... Someone has to be accused of an actual crime. 
There has to be a charge there. You have to have the cases brought before the court to be heard. And from what you're telling me, what they're what they're using here to rule on is uh, some of this Russian nonsense they're ginning back up again, right? So the article doesn't specifically say Russia collusion, but what it does say is foreign entanglements, I believe is how it was worded. Now, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but when we went over this and spent millions of dollars on this Russia probe, if there was anything, if there would have been any spots that were, uh, you know, in, in, in Trump's records, we would have heard about it. And the most we found was uh, Trump was a little, um, so shall we say, um, he wasn't really for this, these investigations and he was a bit resistant to them. That's a, that's all they found. <laughs> they didn't actually find anything. Everything was false. So, yeah, this I, I, don't is, know, uh, I don't know where they're going with this. I don't know I don't how either. they're getting this. I think I, honestly, makes no sense. I think they're going to play the um, I think they're going to play the uh, the class warfare side of it. Because I, I can probably tell you right now what his taxes say. And I, I'm not saying that he broke any laws here. I'm saying that he probably followed the law. And let me just put it this way. By U.S. tax code, people that make a lot of money in the U.S., they don't usually pay a lot of taxes <laughs> when you start getting into like their tax records. And yeah. so they're probably going to show that he hasn't paid a lot in taxes. So they're going to come after him with the whole you know, you need to pay your fair share and he's been stealing from you and they're going to play the, the class, you know, the Marxist class warfare side of it, I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean, because we, we kind of talked about it off recording um, and we've talked about it before on other podcasts where, you know, using it as an example, you own a piece of property. Um, the property is worth, well, I don't know, a million dollars uh, or excuse me, a billion dollars. And you get it appraised, pay the appraiser off, and it's worth, you know, it's 200000 or something, right? You sell the place for 200000 Oh, I just took a hit of $800 million. That means I don't have to pay taxes for the next 18 years. Correct. Um, until I pass that $800 million. And what does Trump uh, do? What, what was he prior to all this uh, political uh -huh. stuff? Real he was a real estate mm -hmm. mogul. Uh-huh. It's the same thing with stocks, though, too. Uh, if you invest in stocks and you take a, a huge hit, you can write it off. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that, that's kind of a um, it encourages businesses to get into the, the you know, taking risks and chances like that. Yeah. OK, so they're going to do I, I'm sure he's going to fight this, but I, I don't see how, to be fair, I, I don't I don't see how the, the Supreme Court has the authority to do this. I, I really don't see how they have the authority to do this. So the thing is, the next they may uh, Sorry, they they may subpoena this right and 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 get the information uh, specifically New York, but it may not reach public. It may not be released to the public ever. So I mean, there's, I want, there's still that. If we're gonna do this, okay. If we're gonna go down this road, I want every elected official in Congress to release all of their financial records. I want all of them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Let's Everybody. start with. If, if let's you're start do with, this, yeah. Let's start with Speaker Pelosi. Let's start with her. Yeah. Uh, and every single possible candidate in the uh, near future presidential candidate. Like if you're going to go down this road and require Trump to do this, then everybody has to be required to do it. I want to know. Stay consistent. I want to know how a woman who goes to Congress who has a net worth of two hundred thousand dollars now has a mm -hmm. net worth of almost two billion dollars. I want to know how that's possible on a salary of an of an average of one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars a year. You tell me. How in the hell that's possible doing things legit? 
I want those financial records released. That's what I want. I want Biden as well. Yeah, well, his, it his dealings, you know. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Suspicious at all? Yeah. No, it's not suspicious at all. Okay, so mm-hmm. speaking mm-hmm. of money, speaking of money, a U.S. town has printed its own currency to boost the coronavirus relief. Did you look at any of this? Have you seen this? I have not. I just kind of skimmed over it. I was honestly, I was looking for other articles as well to, to go. Okay. Residents of Tonino, Washington are eligible for up to $300 in the wooden banknotes each month to spend at local businesses. Interesting. Tucked away under lock and key uh, in a former railroad depot turned small town museum in the U.S. state of Washington, a wooden printing press cranked back to life to mint currency after nearly 90 dormant years. The end product, $25 wooden bills bearing down or bearing the town's name, Tonino, with the words COVID relief superimposed on the image within a Latin phrase, Hubamus et... Yeah, I'm not going to... Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to... We have uh, yeah, it under control. control. We have it under control. Yeah, it's the English translation. Uh, printed in cursive, uh, which I don't even think most kids know how to read cursive these days, to be fair. I mean, I can still write in it. I, I was actually... It's it's funny because I was watching one of those... I, I, I saw one of those political cartoons one time, you know, just the one little... You know, just the one drawing. And this guy sitting... Or this kid sitting there reading something and he's like, I, man, I just can't... I can't read all this foreign language, right? He was... He had a shirt on that said millennial. And you had another guy over there reading a newspaper that had a shirt on that said Boomer. And uh, he's reading the kids, the millennials saying, well, I can't read this foreign language. And he says, I, I just don't know what it is. What, what am I even reading? And the Boomer says, the Constitution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yes, it's. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, with the coronavirus pandemic plunging the United States into recession, yeah, blah, 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 blah. some local governments are looking for innovative ways to help residents weather the storm. For Tonino, the answer was the revival of a local currency that had bolstered the town's economy in 1931 in the wake of the Great Depression. Uh, they thought the mayor thought, why don't they do that again? It only made sense. So a town of less than 2000 people, about 60 miles southwest of Seattle, started printing local banknotes in April, five weeks into Washington State's lockdown. Anyone with a documented loss of income as a result of the pandemic is eligible for up to $300 a month of local currency. Businesses up and down the, ta- the town's quaint Main Street accept the wooden banknote for everything except alcohol, tobacco, cannabis and lottery tickets. OK, so it's for essential things like food. Yeah, OK. The city government backs the local currency, which merchants can exchange for U.S. dollars at the city hall rate of one to one. So it's an even exchange. Honestly, what what do you think about this? I mean, I'm all for other currencies competing. But at the same time, we've seen in the past what happens to currencies that try to rise and compete against the dollar. The the Fed doesn't really care too much for that. They, They don't like that. This is why we've seen the attack on cryptocurrencies such as you know Bitcoin and the rest of them, because it's not able to be controlled. They, they don't have a they, they don't have a, a mechanism of control over that. So what, what do we think about this? I'm not really sure how this bolsters their economy. If it's a one to one exchange rate, are, are you only doing business with people that have these currencies or are you accepting both currencies? So it, it doesn't I, I guess I, I failed to see the benefit of this to bolster local economy. I, I don't I don't get it because if it's a one to one exchange, then you could just use the dollar instead of the wooden. So I, I, it, I guess I don't I don't quite get it. I find it rather interesting that they actually do something like this. But I, I don't really again, I, I'm with you on this one. I don't see the um, I don't see the need. But at the same time, it's also. They're looking at it as a way to supplement your income. So if you lose your job and you don't have that income, they're looking at that the town is looking to ensure that that unemployment as opposed to the state. I mean, I'm assuming that's how that's working. So the town can take on the burden rather than I mean, we're talking a town of 2000 people here. 
or less than 2,000 people. So if they've got the discretionary funds in the budget for the town to support local businesses by issuing their own currency, then that makes sense, right? Okay, so I, I think I understand now. It, it, you're you're basically saying this is a welfare system, basically. Well, that the yeah. State, that the, yeah. the town is paying for, more or less. Yes. Okay, so the, the town is backing its own money with taxpayer dollars. Um, yes, which, by the way, we, we talked about how the Fed is buying municipal bonds. <laughs> so if they're buying municipal bonds, then... Yeah, why not do this? Yeah, that makes w- sense. Why not, right? Yeah. Print just, your own money on a local level. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, just do that. Elon Musk, right? He says mm-hmm. Tesla is close to developing fully autonomous cars, which, mm-hmm. I, I mean, don't we already have them? I mean, not fully, not fully, but we have the assisted driver things, right? So you've got the things now like, I mean, I have a car yeah. where it's got the driver assist where it'll keep you in the lane and right. it's got the sensors where it won't let you it won't let you come up onto a car too fast. It won't let you, you know, mm-hmm. it'll hit the brakes if you uh, before you back into something, it'll stop the car. It will uh, speed up accordingly and move into the next lane accordingly and it'll keep you in those lanes. So, I mean, we kind of already have it. We just don't have it to a point where it's sophisticated enough to take us to and from a certain point with all the stops and goes in between. Right. Right. So, I mean, technically, okay. So technically the technology is there and technically it's capable of doing it. Uh, again, you, you're, you're still running into the problem of what we've kind of talked about before networking, you know, having multiple self-driving cars on the, on the road at once networking together to accommodate for other vehicles to make traffic more efficient, basically. So they can position themselves, you know, the vehicles will position themselves better for where they're going and, and, you know, the comings and goings. And so it's more of an efficient machine. So we don't have something like that currently because that that's a lot of infrastructure, which 5G would help alleviate and, you know, those sort of things. So we don't have anything that autonomous. uh, And I don't know if that's what they're meaning. There were some hiccups, if you will, uh, with the system and and some basic problems being as uh, the human element. That's kind of the unknown right now. This is where they'll make the argument. They'll say, well, uh, the accidents are being caused by humans. So we have to. Yeah, we we have to get rid of the human element. So you have to get a self-driving car. Musk has said that he says this is his quote. He says, I'm extremely confident that level five or essentially what they classify as complete autonomy, which is level five, will happen. And I think it will happen very quickly. I remain confident Mm -hmm. that we will have the basic functionality complete this year. So he's talking five months Five months from now, the complexity and autonomy of self-driving car technology is classified up to a level five. So lower level features, uh, some combination of autonomous decision making by the vehicle, like what I just said, along with as needed human intervention, like the cruise control now where it keeps you in the lane and it slows the car down, it speeds up, things like that. It makes the decisions, but you as the human, you can step in and override that if you don't like what the car's doing. But level five denotes a car that requires no human intervention at any time, allowing the passenger to sleep. That's just, oh man. I, I think if you go to France, they do that anyway. Allow, <laughs> allowing, the pa- allowing the passenger to sleep or watch a movie while the car handles all the navigation as well as the adjustments to avoid collisions, which they already do. They already do. I have a car that does that. Tesla already enables partial autonomy for its cars, yes, but analysts say the road to full autonomy faces considerable legal and regulatory hurdles, like you just said, not to mention getting customers to feel comfortable entrusting their cars with full control. You know, I don't want a driverless car. I do not want a driverless car for a few reasons. One, I want to drive. I, I like to be able to drive. Two, mm-hmm. we know where the, we know where this goes, right? You don't have that high enough standing. Your car doesn't go to where you want to go. We, we know where this yeah. goes. 
Yeah. So uh, to I don't, I don't know if the article talks about it, but a, a good example of uh, a driverless vehicle is actually the uh, the recent rocket launch of the Dragon crew. Yeah. Dragon good point. was actually like the crew. They didn't want them touching the controls. It was all autonomous. And I mean, they, they had the capacity to take control if needed, you know, if there was a, a failure of some kind. But the entire launch was automated. So they're they're going down this road. But the thing is, is by making things autonomous like this, you can make it more precise. And, they, you know, a computer can make faster decisions and, and more precise decisions quicker than a human can. I like the human element. I like the mistakes. Call me old fashioned, but but that's what I like. I, I don't like this idea of you got to turn everything over to a computer. You got to turn everything over to a machine. I, I don't like that idea. It, it, am I alone in thinking this? Do you, do you feel that way too? Um, I have mixed feelings on it. I do like the precision and the convenience that it will bring. But at the same time, I'm concerned with things like control, like what we've talked about. I'm also concerned with things like security. Uh, what happens if somebody hacks yeah. it? Or, or well, something that, like that. I mean, I, I don't want a car to say, uh, you're not getting in here. We're not going to unlock the car and you can't go anywhere until you put a mask on. Yeah, something like that. I mean, that's, uh, you I, know, that's what it'll be. You know, that's what it'll be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, minor, minor compliances. Yeah. Yes. Which we'll get into that later on today. In light of uh, going automation, um, Tyson is uh, turning to robots for their butchering meat, the chicken uh, company? Of meats. Yeah. Uh, well, meat company in general. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, they're looking at automating uh, the majority of the process so that uh, they, they were showing a chart, right? And they're showing a um, the number of pl- employees per 1,000 square feet, right, of manufacturing space. Meat processing is the highest in the list. And you have other things like uh, electronics, other foods, machinery, chemicals, paper, beverage and tobacco, and then also textiles. The meat processing is like three to four times higher than, for example, like textiles. So they're looking at if you automate it, and some of these automations are actually really precise and pretty quick. If they're able to do something like this on an, and automate it, well, you cut down on how many people you need, you cut down on immediate expenses, you know, the overhead and whatnot, though technically the, the machines are expensive and whatnot, and it's an upfront cost, and then minor costs, you know, for, for maintenance and, and upkeep. But I think in the long run, it's going to be cheaper than having employees. And this is something we've kind of talked about. This is what's coming because of COVID-19 is kind of pushing it a little bit faster. But uh, everything's going to start automating. And this is this is the road we're going down. You know, machines are going to start taking our jobs and manufacturing is going to be the one of the main ones of the first ones to really be hit. I mean, we, we already seen it a bit in the automotive industry or, or you know, some of the Precision machining and that kind of thing, right? It's been automated to a degree, but they're also looking at uh, meat uh, driving. That's uh, we're just talking about driverless cars. That's another possibility, like things like Uber taxis, um, truck deliveries. You know, those kind of things could all be automated. We've seen Amazon toying with the idea of using drones or or um, driverless vehicles to deliver packages. So you know, this is this is the future, and thanks to COVID. It's coming even quicker, whether whether we're ready for it or not. Yeah, I I think that it is coming. Automation is coming. Apparently now, and I've not seen evidence of this, but I've had several people tell me this. You can essentially, when it comes to like fast food and stuff, you can essentially, you can automate the whole process already. You just need somebody there to unload a truck still, because that part of the logistical chain isn't there yet. But as far as everything else goes, yes, automation is coming. 
And in a lot of respects, it's already here. And I think that's why we're starting to hear these terms now, which I, I said this long ago when, when we were doing our, uh, well, actually, I think I, I, re, I, I think we put them back up for, um, for our July 4th uh, special when we did our New World Order podcast, essential, non-essential. They're already getting us used to those terms because yeah. if you're non-essential, if you have a job that's been taken over by a robot due to all this new advances in new technology and robotics and all that stuff, you're non-essential. So why do they need you? This is where it goes. This is where it goes. And you know what? We're going to get into a lot of that later on today. And I tell you what, today, I know I say this a lot, but today, today's a day you really don't want to miss. You really don't want to miss today because this is uh, this is quite shocking. And to be honest with you, today's been a tough one to sit down and, and kind of kind of lay out because because it's just shocking. It's just it's just shocking. So do give us a listen later on today. We're going to be talking about the psychological trauma of public health. Bruce, I will definitely see you later on this afternoon. Thank you for your time this morning, Bruce. Thank you to all the listeners for all these topics and more. Please check us out later on this afternoon. You don't want to miss it. And I hope everyone has a great morning.